I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Hi, everybody. I hope you are all safe and as healthy as can be for you right now. Today is a very important and special episode. This is not just for the families who have immunocompromised family members. My guest today is a child and adolescent psychiatry fellow. She also happens to be one of my clients, just more proof that I have the best clients ever. In this episode, we are covering so much surrounding the COVID-19 quarantine. She has so many tips on ways to talk to your kids, your friends and family, ways to manage this heightened stress and anxiety. We talk about tempers, routines, all of it. This information is gold, so please, please share this episode with your people. Also, she leads us through a mindful exercise for the last five minutes. So if you can, go somewhere alone for a few minutes. Otherwise, it'll be there for you, and you can circle back to it as often as you want and include your kids in this mental health resource. These are great skills to practice for all of us. I wanted to dedicate this episode to everyone working so hard right now in healthcare and first responders. Their hard work and dedication is truly courageous, and we owe them a great debt for literally saving the world right now. Some of them have lost their own lives in an effort to protect us all. So we thank you. We admire you. We're so proud of you. And thanks to my next guest for setting aside her precious time to share her expertise surrounding our mental health during this time. Here is my conversation with Dr. Laura Black. Hi, Laura. Hi, Effie. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm sad the sun's not out again today, but I'm hoping it's just a morning you know, hasn't burned off yet, I guess. Yeah, we've been blessed with some beautiful days, I guess, in the midst of all the crazy. Totally. (laughs) Well, I know you're so incredibly busy right now. So I just want to say thank you so much for offering your expertise. This is going to be such an incredibly important episode to share. So thank you so much. Yeah, I'm happy to help however I can. I know a lot of people's emotions are running high right now. And I think we're, we're all feeling it. Yeah, I mean, it's been tough and emotionally draining for everyone across the world. So this is really good timing. Laura, can you just give us a little background on yourself real quick? Yeah, so I am a child and adolescent psychiatry fellow, meaning that I'm trained um, in psychiatry both with adults and with children and teenagers. So I am trained in medications and in psychotherapy, and I've been working in medicine and mental health for a number of years now. Yeah, okay, we need to talk to you today. (laughs) Yeah, we kind of, the whole world is feeling it. Yeah, not an exaggeration. (laughs) Well, let's just kind of get into the meat of it because there's a lot of information to cover. So how do we explain to the kids what COVID-19 is, why can't they go anywhere, and why is school and therapy and friends canceled? 
But I think that this is particularly relevant to your audience, parents of kids who are medically complex. Um, So I want to just remind you of something that I think you guys know, but might be forgetting in all the panic. You guys are the pros at making developmentally appropriate explanations of medically complicated stuff. So don't forget that you guys have been doing this probably for your kid's whole life. This is something that you know how to do, and you actually might even be able to support some of your parent friends about this who might not be used to having to talk medical language um, and bring it down to kid level. So I would say the first thing that I would keep in mind is um, to be proactive and sit down and have a conversation with your kids about what's going on. I think they're picking up a lot just from the general environment, but having it come from you and having that conversation at a time that's maybe not right before bedtime, but like a, a time when people are feeling pretty calm and try to be honest about what's going on while still, you know, focusing on uh, the positive and not not magnifying any panic that they're feeling. Different people have been coming up with language to use with kids around this uh, to bring it down to a simple level. Uh, So one way of putting it would be to say that COVID-19 is a new virus um, that's happening in the world right now. Doctors and scientists are still learning about it and studying it. A lot of people have gotten sick recently. Doctors think that most of them will be okay, but some people are going to get pretty sick. And to emphasize that doctors or nurses are working really hard to help people stay healthy. So that's kind of the bare bones, simple way of expressing it and just adjusting it for whatever um, your, your kid's developmental level would be. I would say it's helpful to kind of end on a positive and to just talk about what role we can have um, in flattening the curve. So explaining to them that if we can share less germs, more people can stay healthy. So the proactive things we can be doing, like cleaning our homes, washing our hands, and going through and practicing hand washing with them, and also to stay in touch with people and support people, but to find ways of doing that that's not in person, like chatting with people online, talking on the phone, etc. I heard one person give an example for for real little kids that you can use an example of like a game of tag or like freeze tag, that that's one way of explaining germs in a way that might make it a little more literal for kids, Um, whatever you can do to to make it accessible to them. Mm, Yeah, age appropriate explanations. Mm -hmm, Sure. mm -hmm. Thanks for that nod to all of the special parents and caregivers. They were all nodding along with you. So thank you for uh, recognizing that too. And yeah, important to do it at a time of calm. That's a really good point. You know, I think at nighttime you tend to have like these little conversations, but you're right. It's probably not a good time to do it before bed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Can definitely contribute to that stress and difficulty falling asleep. So how do we help reduce our kids' stress and anxiety levels right now? Do you suggest a home mental health practice? I think it can be really helpful to have routines around mental health, um, that it's kind of one more way that families and kids can learn to take care of themselves. I would say first off, if you guys are already working with like a therapist or a psychiatrist or other mental health professional, this is one of the ways where our profession is lucky that we can still keep working with a lot of patients right now. So a lot of us are doing telepsych via video chat or uh, phone visits if we haven't quite got videos set up yet. Um, So I would recommend staying in touch with that person and maintaining the routine of those regular visits if you have a way of doing it remotely. The thing about anxiety is telling it to just go away 
doesn't work. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, as much as we would love to just kind of like put it in a box and not think about it, I would say that doesn't work with adults and doesn't work with kids either. I think finding a way of validating it without magnifying it is really key here. So acknowledging like, yeah, this this is scary right now. Like, I understand that, you know, you're feeling scared or like, yeah, I feel that you're really having a lot of worries right now um, without kind of escalating it and trying to find a way that you can concretely cope with those anxious thoughts so that they don't escalate out of control. One uh, way that, that we can do that is by thinking of positive coping thoughts. For example, if a kid is really stuck on the worry that like, oh my God, my mom is going to get sick. Like, what am I going to do if my mom gets sick? To think of a positive coping thought like for example my mom is doing everything she can to stay healthy right now or i know my family is doing everything they can to stay healthy right now and if there's some of those worries that keep recurring to maybe write them on an index card or put them up on a bulletin board have somewhere that you can just visualize them regularly can be helpful that's a good idea yeah anything that you can do to kind of make it visual summarize it can be pretty simple different ways that you can like reframe another thing people can do so have you ever heard of uh, scheduled worry time Yes. Sometimes, especially with us all being stuck at home, it can be helpful not only to have scheduled worry time, but a scheduled worry spot. Because as we spend more and more time in our houses, sometimes it's almost we associate being home um, with having this scared feeling. So if you can choose like a spot in the house, maybe a little corner, you can even make it cute if you want, that can be the worry spot. And maybe you schedule, say, like 10 minutes in the morning or like a couple times a day, depending on how intense the worry is and say, okay, this is the time where you're going to worry. Um, and so you can spend this time like, you know, thinking about all those things. And then when it's not our worry time, then to try to think, you know, if those worries come up, let's put it out of our minds for the moment and let's wait for our worry time. I think especially with, with younger kids or kids who need more support, it might be helpful to do the worry time with them. So you make sure they don't completely like spin out um, on all the worries. Um, but for that to be some way that it can be contained to a certain time of day and, and a certain in, in a certain location. So that's a really good idea. I've never heard of doing it in a spot, kind of like your meditation spot. So maybe make them separate. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Just so that you can kind of like have the space and you know that it's safe. Yeah. And I, I think overall, just kind of thinking about what pieces of things you can control as far as cleanliness and stuff like that, social distancing, trying to continue daily routines as much as possible. And I know we'll get into that as well. And trying to limit news media. This is as much for ourselves. I think all of this is actually. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I did want to make you aware there's actually a resource um, for teaching mindfulness to kids that has been getting some attention lately. So if you go to mindfulschools.org, they have a whole curriculum for teaching kids different mindfulness skills. Um, so if that's something that you want to incorporate, especially if you're newly homeschooling, which uh, many people are, that's one way to kind of work that into the curriculum. Mm, thank you. That'll definitely be in the show notes. I'm going to go check it out myself. So Laura, I've also read a lot online that some of the kids kind of feel like maybe it's their fault in some way. That's why they can't go outside. You know, the bus isn't coming to pick them up. How do we explain the concept carefully enough to not spark any more fear, but to also be realistic? I think this can be really hard, you know, if if 
the kid, for, for whatever reason, age or development, etc., has trouble kind of understanding that idea that this isn't this isn't their fault. So I think really trying to emphasize this is something like we're all in this together. Like the reason we're doing this is not because we're in trouble. It's because we're we're trying to really help each other and that we're all doing our best. One uh, wording that I heard someone say is kind of nobody blames the jungle for making a tiger. Um, so like <laughs> sometimes there's just things out there that can be not safe for people. And so um, it, it's not, you know, the world's fault or anybody's fault that this has happened. Um, this is just kind of the most important thing that we can be doing right now to help each other out. So trying to like reassure that stuff as much as possible and like just emphasizing that this is something we're all doing, um, that we're all sharing right now so that people don't feel that it's their fault. Yeah. Family unit. Mm -hmm. What about tempers, Laura? Tempers arising between kids, between parents, between caregivers. What are some things to manage that situation as it escalates with more time that goes on. I think we're already seeing some cabin fever. Absolutely. Um, and I think really that stresses on all all ends. And so just kind of, I think like as, as a parent and like maybe older kids and teenagers can start to appreciate this, to just having a little bit of compassion for ourselves when that happens, you know, if our patient be- patients becomes uh, short or if we're a little more on edge than we normally would like to be, to try to remember, hey, like, we're all going through a lot right now. Like um, we're kind of having a shorter fuse because we're under a lot more pressure. And so um, to try to just take a breath um, and forgive yourself for it, if you find that that happens. As far as trying to deal with tempers at home or if kids are having trouble getting dysregulated with their emotions. So I think the first thing to think about is your prevention strategies. Um, So how do you set up your home for success when you've got the kids there like hanging with their sibs 24-7. One strategy can be just like increasing the way that you're structuring that time at home together. So maybe if you're homeschooling, you can have school stations where you can be thoughtful about where different kids are placed or what times of day different kids are on different tasks um, to try to think ahead of how you're going to minimize conflict and then to be flexible. And if one of the plans doesn't work out to um, to be willing to flex with it. I would try to be mindful that some of your normal house rules like screen time um, and all that, that some of those might require an adjustment. I would advise not to let go of them completely um, and just have free reign, um, but to, to think that some of those things uh, might need to be adjusted because we're not used to having kids spend this much uh, time at home. You can try to put some structure to it by having like a point system. If you have something like that already in place where kids can earn privileges um, or be rewarded for positive behavior, to really try to do that as much as possible. And in a similar zone, like when these emotions do come up because they're going to, you know, if kids are getting upset, and this is helpful for adults too. Uh, one framework that people find helpful is thinking of the zones of regulation. So you have your green zone where you're kind of like good to go, feeling pretty positive. Yellow zone is maybe when things are starting to ramp up a little bit. And red zone would be kind of big old negative emotion explosion. Um, so trying to uh, work that language or like having a little chart in the house um, where you start to starts to become like part of the language you talk about at home, like talking about that maybe you're getting into that yellow zone. And so maybe you're going to take a breath or take a break. And if kids start to recognize those feelings in themselves to reward that, like if you have those point systems going, have that be a thing that they get rewarded for so that you're really encouraging self-awareness and regulation. I love that. What a good idea. Yeah, it's really cool. Like um, if you can attach it to something that's important to them or like make an incentive on it. Yeah, kids can really respond to that stuff. 
Yeah, that's really cool. So what about routines? Routines are sacred in households like mine and to families of kids like mine for both parents, caregivers, and especially our kids. And when that goes all out the window, perhaps especially with a child with ASD, how do we all adapt? I would emphasize the we all part because I think (laughs) anxiety can cause um, people to get rigid. And that's true for kids. That's true for adults. And especially, you know, if if you have a kid who has a particularly rigid just temperamentally, they just have trouble with flexibility um, or if they have ASC, there tends to be more rigidity. So, um, yes, I totally feel that. I think if you're running into issues with that, I would say one way to stay ahead of it is again, kind of having a daily schedule where you put that up in a board where it's visible for people, um, trying to even like schedule some of those daily activities um, so that they're more similar to what the regular school schedule would be like trying to have like lunch or if they have reading in the morning at school, like try to do reading in the morning again. I've heard of some families doing like a daily reading time where they all do silent reading together. If that's like age and developmentally appropriate, trying to do that. If you have kids with more developmental disabilities or with ASD, then having a visual schedule can be really uh, helpful with this, with providing some structure. So there's some awesome printables online. If you if you Google visual schedule printables, um, you can find some really cool stuff of just like each step of the daily routine. Having a visual can be super helpful with ASD. The other thing for ASD kids is uh, first then boards. If you're having difficulties with transitioning between preferred and non-preferred activities, um, sometimes having a real like simple visual of first this, then that, like first schoolwork or first wash hands, then lunch, like, you know, uh, making it really literal like that. So all of that stuff can kind of help you. I would say it's important to be pretty, um, pretty explicit about talking about flexibility at home too. Um, So as the parent, you can model, like, for example, if something unexpected happens, you can start to say things like, oh, wow, you know, my plan A didn't work here. So I'm going to have to go to my plan B. I'm going to have to be flexible. So really name it when it happens for you. And when you see your kid do it to try to use that positive flexibility oriented language of like, you know, oh, look at you, you know, you're being so flexible, you know, you wanted crackers and we don't have the brand you like and and you got the other kind. Good job. So calling it out and recognizing flexibility as a specific like behavioral target can can be really cool. Yeah, I feel like that's a lot of inner conversation, at least with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's a good reminder to maybe just talk. It's not something <laughs> we talk about, I feel like. And so many kids struggle with like rigidity and flexibility that I think, yeah. I, I think it's really interesting that we don't acknowledge it more. Yeah, totally. Especially because those get really settled in once you grow up a little bit. Mm-hmm. That is true. I think like we could all use more mental flexibility, I think, like as a culture right now. Yeah. Mental flexibility and a little compassion, like you said earlier, for sure. Indeed. Yeah. What about the kids getting bored, not wanting to social distance, wanting to see their friends? What about that? This is a tough one. Yeah. I've been out on a walk every day uh, Mm -hmm. and I see the kids everywhere. You know, there's sports still going on. There's playgrounds still going on. And, you know, everyone's just stir crazy in a way, but they also haven't really kind of buckled down. Right. And, And I think, you know, 
as we've seen from the recommendations, it's so important that we do buckle down right now. And it's, you know, we can understand that there's reasons that people haven't. And, and also, you know, it's, it's something that we all that we all need to do just given the situation we're in. So with kids, you know, this is this is tough. I think, again, kind of explaining in the most developmentally appropriate way that you can why this is going on, that this is how we're working hard to help people stay healthy, that this is actually a way that kids can feel like they're contributing, that they're doing something good. Again, having a lot of structure in the day and including some fun stuff in the, in the structure of the day, like maybe having a menu of fun activities that you can do, throwing those onto the schedule um, so that they're still able to have some fun. Um, some families have been doing some of the, you know, the the games that you can use where you're kind of on your phone and playing Pictionary as a group um, on the TV. Have you seen that on the Roku? Like, um, no. Oh, that's fun. Um, so some of them, there's uh, like Jackbox TV is one brand that has it. You want to make sure you're picking the family friendly ones because some of those are games like that are more like for grownups um, that are a little like not not kid friendly. But with the kid versions that are just like, you know, drawing things or making up silly words and stuff like that, that can be one way for people to be on their devices but still connecting fun i'm gonna download that yeah it's definitely one way to kind of stay connected and then you know doing FaceTime or video chat with grandparents, FaceTime with friends. I think Netflix now has an option where you can uh, watch, you can live stream together and watch a movie with with other households. I think it's Netflix Party. Trying to be creative so that kids still stay connected, but in a way that's um, really respecting the fact that we need to keep our distance right now. I think with older kids and like teens, it gets a little more complicated because I think teens have that like natural desire to want to like rebel or not really follow rules (laughs) teenagers i know right (laughs) who knew and so i think that's been you know a big conversation with some of my patients recently um i think some teens might be kind of like still at the stage where they're joking about the virus as kind of a form of denial and i think really trying to bring it back to some compassion for what's going on for them that you know Usually underneath that denial is is fear, you know, fear that a person doesn't want to feel. And so to try to be aware of your own emotions that might rise up in response to seeing kids and teens acting that way, but really kind of bringing it back to what's going to speak to them to acknowledge the importance of what's happening. For some teens, like I mean, statistics and numbers and charts, maybe it's just not going to do it. But if you can give specific examples or stories um, connected to people that have been impacted by this, sometimes that speaks to people a little more, or even just appealing to the side of them that maybe wants to like be a leader, you know, and maybe this is setting an example for their kids. And maybe this isn't just about like, them having FOMO for like missing a party that's going on, but it's actually them like choosing to be their own person and set an example and influence their friends to help other people more. Yeah, I love that one. Also, I don't think I've ever heard a doctor say FOMO. So that was cool. (laughs) (laughs) I know, it's true. Okay, so along with worrying about our kids anyways, now families have this extra strain of losing their jobs, paying their bills, keeping everyone safe and healthy times one million than we usually do. And 
you know, no doubt that our stress as adults, as parents, as caregivers is radiating off of us probably. And this is something that our children can see and they can feel. I firmly believe that when I'm having emotions, I know my kids can feel it. And I'm, I try to be pretty mindful about that. Sometimes Casey has to put me in check. But how much of an impact can this kind of stress affect them on top of everything else that they're already dealing with? What can we do to just be extra cautious? First of all, I'm so happy that you asked that question because I think this is something that is really important to think about. So kids do respond to your emotional cues, um, and that's both the words that you say and it's also the tone that you say it in. So they can feel the emotions in the room. They do pick up on vibes. And so it's important to think about making sure that they can feel safe uh, with you with everything that's going on right now. So my intention there is not to add now another layer of parental guilt where you're like, oh my God, I was already feeling like worried about this disaster. And now I'm worried about the stress that I'm putting on my kid. And so layers upon layers of worry. It's more to emphasize, to really just reframe and emphasize that um, your ability to care for yourself is really important right now. Put the oxygen mask on yourself before you help others. This is a really important time for you to be able to take care of yourself to the point that you can be in a good enough state that you're emotionally present for your child as you guys go through this experience together and you'll be able to meet their emotional needs. We do find that when we study kids that go through things like natural disasters um, or when we're thinking of like long-term effects like being impacted by trauma, that the parent's ability to stay present um, and be there for their kid emotionally is important. So try to have compassion for yourself right now that this is legitimately a really tough time that everybody's going through right now. And so of course you're going to be stressed um, and that your experience of this is going to be so much better and your kid's experience is going to be better if you do whatever you need to do to take the time to care for yourself. So whether that means having a certain time of the day that you focus on having a moment of mindfulness or whether that's doing whatever your small daily routines are, whatever you can do to care for yourself and make sure that you have a second to breathe. Yeah, really important because not only in regular life, parents like me, caregivers like me, pretty easy to put yourself on the back burner. And this is just a really good reminder that it's a non-negotiable, right? It's a non-negotiable to take care of ourselves because we can't take care of anyone else if we're not there. 100%. Yeah. And I know, I know it's so hard. I know that this is not an easy ask. Um, and I know also that all of these parents, you know, that, that we're talking to, you know, you're so committed um, to your kids, like you, you love them so much. And so I really want to impress upon you that this is an important way of showing them you love them. Yes. Amen. What about as a parent of a medically complex kid or a, having a family member with a compromised immune system? How would you suggest people like me cope with feelings of anger toward other people who aren't following social distancing, physical distancing guidelines, and maybe making this whole thing out to be nothing really? I think that is, you know, really upsetting. I think it's natural to feel upset by that. Um, I've been seeing uh, the filter that people have been using on their Facebook photos where it's like, you're only as my everything. I think that's, that's pure truth. It's really, this is not a joke or a meme. Um, this is this is real life, you know, and, and there are people that are really concerned and rightfully so about what's going on. I think it can be really hard to know how to respond to people taking it in a cavalier way and not um, really taking it seriously. I think 
as far as your own feelings about the resentment you might feel or the anger you might feel um, towards people that are not taking it seriously and not following guidelines, I would say, you know, just within yourself, you give yourself permission to, to feel that. I think that you you have every right to be upset about what's going on and about, um, you know, the impact that it may have if people don't follow the recommendations. I think, again, trying to find some piece of empathy for what would bring a person to have that perspective. I think, again, there's a lot of denial in there. And what's under the denial or the joking, etc., um, is kind of a fear that that person is not able to face right now. And it is really unfortunate that that ends up impacting other people. I think trying to keep some compassion in your heart for the fact that that, that person is really so afraid to feel what they feel right now that they're in complete denial about it. I would say as far as how to cope with it, how to be communicating with people, you know, um, who don't seem to be taking it seriously, I would say it's sort of a two-sided thing. So speak your truth and pick your battles right? Like I said, I think people are most impacted by personal stories um, of people that have been impacted by the illness or people that could be impacted. I would say that if there is a conversation to be had, if there's um, somebody that you trust who you think would be open to hearing your truth about this, um, to try to keep it simple and, you know, not demonize the other person, realize that they are probably going to have a lot of resistance to acknowledging what's going on because that makes them then have to feel the fear of what's happening. Really um, speaking your truth about it, about how you can see yourself and your family being impacted and then picking your battles in terms of, you know, not getting stuck in a flame war in the comments section, like really think about what the point of the conversation is um, and who you're speaking for. Are you speaking to communicate to that person so that they may change their mind? Or are you just feeling anger and you're trying to let it out, maybe polarizing the situation more? Pick your battles. It's a good one to remember for so many different situations. <laughs> it is hard to do. I think in every interaction, you kind of like have to balance. There's sort of a few factors you got to balance. You got to balance like speaking your truth and being true to yourself, maintaining the relationship and getting what you want done. And there's like, it's like slices of a pie, you know, you got to decide what piece is the most important, you know, because if you express your truth in a way that the person is not going to be able to hear, you're not going to get what you want accomplished, which is that they actually follow the guidelines. So so really being thoughtful about those interactions. Yeah. And just remembering your own bandwidth anyways, mm -hmm. you know, true. Yeah, ain't nobody got time for that. Laura, is there anything else that you want to share with us or leave with us in the midst of all this stress right now? Well, there's so much going on. Um, I mean, I guess first I just want to like recognize all the parents out there who are you know, dealing with this, especially having medically complex kids. I have so much respect for you guys and sending you so much love and support. I want to let you know that those of us who work in healthcare and mental health are really working as hard as we can and we're trying to flatten that curve. Um, so all of you guys are in our thoughts and in our hearts 24-7 right now. Hopefully we'll be able to, you know, continue to just support um, and be there for people um, as they need and we'll be able to see some progress. And again, you know, just reiterating that idea of taking care of yourself right now. So actually, if we can take a moment, I'd, I'd like to lead you just in a little bit of a mindfulness, loving kindness exercise. Give it to me. All right. Just take a moment to take a comfortable seat. You can close your eyes if you're comfortable. 
Have your feet flat on the ground. Have your hands on your lap. And notice your breath. Notice where you feel the breath the most. Maybe it's passing in through your nose. Maybe it's in your chest as your chest rises and falls. Just try to bring some gentle attention to your breath. Feel the warmth of your hands. Feel the weight of your body in the chair. And feel how your chest rises and falls beneath you with every breath. Now bring to mind a person or another living being who naturally makes you smile. This could be a child, could be a parent or a grandparent, could be a pet. Just someone who naturally brings happiness to your heart. Now let yourself feel what it's like to be in that being's presence. Imagine them before you. And allow yourself to enjoy their good company. Now recognize how this being is just like you vulnerable, subject to sickness, aging, and death. And also just like you, this being wishes to be happy and free from suffering, just like you and every other living being. And so in your mind, repeat these phrases softly and gently. May you be safe. May you be peaceful. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. May you be safe. May you be peaceful. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. When you notice that your mind has wandered, return to the words and the image of the loved one you have in your mind. Savor any warm feelings that may arise. Now, add yourself to your circle of goodwill. Put your hand over your heart, feel the warmth of your hand, and the gentle pressure on your chest. And repeat gently in your mind. May you and I be safe. May you and I be peaceful. May you and I be healthy. May you and I live with ease. 
Now visualizing your whole body in your mind's eye. Notice any stress or uneasiness that may be lingering within you and offer kindness to yourself. May I be safe. May I be peaceful. May I be healthy. May I live with ease. Now feel how that circle can expand to all beings in the world. May we be safe. May we be peaceful. May we be healthy. May we all live with ease. Now take a few breaths and just rest quietly in your own body, savoring the goodwill and compassion that flows naturally from your own heart. Know that you can return to these phrases anytime you wish. And when you're ready, gently open your eyes. Thank you, Laura. Thank you for having me here. That made me feel warmer and empowered and rejuvenated. That's wonderful. I'm so happy to have the chance to talk with you about this and to talk with your listeners. I mean, like I said, I have so much respect for what you guys are doing and we're out here fighting for you. We are for you too. Uh, Thank you so much. I know that you're so busy and I think especially this last part is just going to be really valuable. People can tune back to it at any time that they want to. So it's a really valuable resource that you just left everyone with. So thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Feel free to listen through it. And um, and just a little plug that um, a lot of the meditation apps um, have been uh, making things available for free now just to support everybody. Um, 10% Happier is one uh, that's been having a live meditation cast for 20 minutes every day. Um, you can either listen to it live. Uh, it's at noon Pacific or at three o'clock Eastern. And you can listen to it afterwards if, if that's not a time of day that you're free. Um, but people are really, you know, coming together as a community right now. So again, you know, just do whatever you need to do to take care. All right, Laura. I love you so much. Thank you. I oh, love you too. See you soon. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate y'all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you.